The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Welcome to She Was The Fire. I'm your host, Courtney Mangan, business owner, productivity enthusiast, pop culture addict, and three-time cancer fighter. This podcast is a go-to guide for women looking for advice and hacks on how to ignite her fire, own her crown, organize her schedule, and live her best damn life, whatever that means. Hello, sunshine, and welcome to She Was The Fire. Thank you for tuning in to episode nine of season three. Today, I'm here to give you, as the title suggests, a life update. So I basically thought that it was time for me to get on and talk a little bit more in depth about what's going on with me because I have some serious shit ahead of me and I don't quite know what's going to happen. So I thought that now would be the time to do that because I have a few guest episodes planned and I don't like to do much of a life update on the guest episodes because I like to get maximum time with the guests. So I thought today would be the chance to do that. Firstly, before we get on with today's episode, just wanted to remind you to follow me on Instagram at Courtney Mangan and tag me in your stories if you're listening, don't forget to rate and review if you haven't done that already. All right, straight off into today's Firestarter. And this is like a song that sounds really slow when it begins, but the back end of the song I have just been playing on repeat just non-stop. And it's Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish. just the part where it's like, you make me hate this city. And then it just like kicks off. Oh my gosh. It's one of those songs, you know, like You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette that you can just crank and it just gets all of your anger and aggression out. Absolutely obsessed. All right, let's ignite today's topic. So as I said, I'm getting into a life update. And I wanted to do this episode today because I wanted a place to be able to talk about this long form. I have talked about it on my Instagram, obviously, but I don't have the ability to really go in depth with it. And a lot of you are still asking a lot of questions. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I am acknowledging it on this podcast as well, because not all of you may follow me on Instagram. You might just listen to the podcast. And I do have a really difficult road ahead of me. And I didn't want this podcast to um, become a burden, I guess. So I feel like... I started this podcast as a way for me to share more of what was happening in my life and maybe help some people along the way, share more about skin cancer awareness, melanoma awareness, you know, protecting the skin you're in. And also a big part of it was about finding out who you are and doing it on purpose, my favorite Dolly Parton quote, because through this whole horrible experience over the last few years with cancer, it has really sort of narrowed what is important to me and I've become more of myself than I ever have before. And so I wanted to share that with the listeners, you guys, because I wanted everybody to feel that way. And so I've always loved doing this podcast and I still love doing this podcast. However, in times where I am sick or going through a hard time, I do feel the burden of having to pump out content and do interviews and come up with things to say. And I know that if you're not consistent on any platform, whether it's TikTok, it's YouTube, it's Instagram, it's podcasts, then that platform can can penalize you. For example, if you don't post you know, on Instagram for a long time, then Instagram doesn't give you very much reach. It penalizes you when you do post. And so 
for me, I wanted to make sure I was still being consistent with the podcast, but now I've gotten to the point where I do need to put my health first and I just have to hope that you will stick around if I do have to have one week where I miss a podcast episode, but then I'm back for a few weeks in a row and then I have another one off just because my health has to come first. So in case you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, my cancer has come back for a fourth time. So in case you're new here, quick history, 2017, I got my first melanoma, which was a mole on my right shoulder, and I had that removed. It was a level four melanoma, which is basically the Clark level system. So not a stage, just a level. And it basically determines from one to five what the, like, the depth of your melanoma is. I had that removed along with a lymph node. Then at the end of 2019, I had two lumps, which was stage 3B, and they came up and I had them removed surgically. They were also on my right arm. And then I froze my eggs because I had to go through cancer treatment and they wanted to make sure that it didn't impact my fertility. So I went through that fertility treatment. Then I started cancer treatment immunotherapy for a full year in 2020. I finished that treatment in February of this year. Then at the end of May, we discovered that my cancer was back. This time it was stage four and it was in my abdomen. So I had surgery to remove the mass that was in my abdomen along with 15 lymph nodes. And cut to a few weeks ago and they have found melanoma again. This time it's in my thigh. So basically that's where we're at. It is all stemmed from that one little fucker, that one little mole that went bad. And all of this has been happening for the last four and a half, five years. And I guess what I want to talk to you today about is just a whole bunch of things. What's to come, how I'm feeling, and just everything that's going into it. So with my last surgery, one of the questions you may have, I have addressed on here before, but you might not have heard that episode, was why didn't I have treatment then? So as I said, in 2020, I received a year of cancer treatment and that was on something that we call Nevo. That was immunotherapy. And then when my cancer came back, we realized that that whole year didn't actually work. So that was a waste of time, but we obviously had to do it. So heartbreaking that that didn't work and that meant that that option was no longer available to me. So when my cancer came back in my abdomen, that was obviously very scary because it had gone from a mole to some lumps in my arm and now it's in my abdomen in my organs. And that surgery was a big recovery. It took me a month off work, whereas the one on my arms was just like, I just went in to have the surgery and the next day I went straight to work. So it was a a big deal. And I thought after that surgery, I'd just be going back on treatment. But the doctors told me that given the treatment didn't work, I couldn't go back on it. And I just had to sit and wait. So they put me under what they call surveillance. And then straight away, my next PET scan came up again with another cancer. And I thought they would just cut it out. It's just in my thigh. That's quite an easy surgery as someone that has no medical skills whatsoever. But, you know, Grey's Anatomy, been watching it for years. Um, I thought that they would just cut it out. It would be simple, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I'd just get on with it, be back at work after a few days, just keep my leg elevated. We're all good. We just wait for the next one to pop its ugly head again, pop up. But that's not what happened. The specialists basically said to me that because the cancer has come back so quickly, usually there's 18 months between my cancers coming back, because it came back so quickly, it was literally three months. What they believe is that there's more cancer just lying in wait. It's just too small for the PET scan to detect it. So that means that there's more there. It's just hiding in my body somewhere. The chances that if I I said to her, can I just cut this 
you know, this fucker out. And she said, if you cut it out today, I can guarantee you will be back here tomorrow with more. And so all we're doing is, and she said, kicking the bucket down the road. We're not actually getting rid of anything. We're just prolonging this process. So we have to start the treatment now. The reason I didn't go on treatment before was because when you have cancer, say there's like a big golf ball in your body, right, of cancer. When you get treatment, with the, every scan you get, you can see the golf ball. Suddenly it's turning into a ping pong ball and then it's turning into a marble and you can see that it's reducing. But if they cut all of my cancer out, they don't have anything to actually see that it's working. So they couldn't tell for that whole year when I was getting treatment last year that the treatment actually wasn't working at all because they'd cut the cancer out and then they were just doing the treatment to just sweep up anything that could be remaining that was too small for the test to pick up. This time, they don't want to do that. There is only a 30% chance that the next treatment I will get will be work. So they don't want to put, they didn't want to put me at that risk without having that marker to tell if something was actually working or not. So that meant that we just had to do the surveillance. So I thought we would keep that up. As I said, we'd just get surgery, but because it's come back so fast, there is more cancer there, they think. 90% chance that there is just other cancer laying in wait, who knows where in my body. I do have some areas that have come up with some activity that they're watching. They're not certain of yet. So I could have something in the back of my neck. I could have something else in my abdomen. Um, and obviously this one is on, in my thigh, which they have confirmed to be melanoma. Back when I had my abdomen surgery, the doctor had said to me, this next lot of treatment is really toxic and there's going to be potentially a lot of side effects. They could be long-term side effects. So we don't want to put you on that till it's absolutely necessary. And now we're at the point that it's necessary. So that is really scary one to see that the doctors are like, this has advanced so quickly that we have to put you on a really toxic treatment in order to try and fix this so that it doesn't escalate any further. And to know that there's only a 30% chance that that treatment will work. The side effects from this treatment are terrifying. They range from just fatigue and a rash all the way up to organ failure and autoimmune diseases, which I would be stuck with for the rest of my life. Colitis is a main concern, which is, as far as I believe, inflammation of the bowel, which is not a fun experience when I already have irritable bowel syndrome. And so I've heard horror stories. I have a lot of friends who've had melanoma, who've had this treatment. I'm on forums. And from what I can tell, like a lot of people, well over 50% of people are getting these really bad side effects. Obviously, there's no way to actually tell because it's just people going on a forum and not everybody goes on with their happy stories. Most people go on with horror stories. So it's important to note that. But it does seem fairly common that side effects are going to be a big part of my life. You can only get four treatments as far as I'm aware with this Ipinevo and I will get one treatment every three weeks and they want me to do that for 30, for, sorry, for three months and then I will get another scan to check if it reduced anything. So that's basically the plan forward. My doctor doesn't think my body will handle all of the treatments and that I probably will only be able to get two before something starts to go wrong with my body. So that's scary. My doctor's already predicting that I can't handle it. Um, and it's scary to know that I could still get these horrible side effects and there's a 70% chance it won't even do anything anyway to reduce the cancer. So I'm not going to lie. This is a really scary, scary time. I woke up on, I think it was Friday morning and I felt, no, Thursday morning and I felt pretty overwhelmed with fear 
that would be, I would guess, the main emotion that I'm feeling at the moment. I've managed to get it under control now, but I woke up with just terror (laughs) on Thursday morning. I think I get my treatment. By the time you're hearing this, I will have had one dose of treatment and I'm getting that on Friday. It's Tuesday right now. I'm a week out from you hearing this. Um, And I think Friday, I don't get anxiety, but I feel like Friday could be the first day that I get it, if I'm being honest. Um, it's it's scary. The process will be I'm still allergic to this treatment because it still has Ipi, uh, it's Ipi Nevo and I'm allergic to Nevo. So it's still a combination of the drug that I'm allergic to. So I have to go into the clinic. Um, I have to have all these drugs pre. They kind of knock me out with the drugs by giving dosing me up with antihistamines that make me so tired that I fall asleep. And then they give me the treatment over 25% speed of what normal people get just that my body can handle it. So it just takes a really long time. Um, and then that'll be it. So we'll see how I feel afterwards. I am really scared and the side effects can happen at any time. It could happen that minute or it could happen two months later. You just don't know. And that is a scary thing. I live alone. And so I don't have someone there at night just checking if I'm okay or helping make that decision of like, no, you're, you're too sick. You need to go to hospital. And it just comes down to you yourself. And we all know that we sometimes will downplay how we're feeling and like, no, 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 I'm not going to call a hospital. That's going to be too much drama. Like I'm not calling an ambulance. And sometimes it takes another person to say, no, this is not right. You need to get some help. And so I'm going to have to make those calls on my own. I'm looking at all my options, obviously, like I can my parents could come and stay with me. I could stay with my parents, but we both live in small apartments. So for that to happen over the space of three months would be a lot mentally for someone. It wouldn't, not just my parents, just anyone in my space when I'm used to living alone is a lot. Um, And so for the minute, what we're doing is I'm just going to get the first treatment. It seems to me that most people don't get bad reactions on the first treatment. So I'm going to do the first treatment and just see how I go. Another thing that I've done is I went and got um, a temperature checker, like I paid for the top-notch temperature checker because um, apparently if I get over a certain temperature, that's when I it's one of the really bad side effects for colitis or, sorry, symptoms for colitis. So then I need to get myself to the hospital. Um, so just those kind of like little checkers that will help me mentally go like, are you being dramatic, Courtney? Let me just check my temperature. No, you're not. Call the hospital. So it will be good to have like an actual number that will tell me that like you need to take action now. And I think mentally that will be really helpful for me. So it is a really scary time. And I am trying to plan for the worst because that is how I mentally prepare for things. If I know what the worst case scenario is and I can try and prepare the best that I can, obviously a lot of this is out of my control. At least it won't hit me from nowhere. Um, And a lot of other people like to, you know, just look at the positive side, but I'm very pragmatic and I want to know everything. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen just because I know about it. I'm definitely scared of it, but I'm also very positive. I'm happy to go through this horrible time if it's going to get me rid of this fucking horrible disease. If that's what I have to do, then that's what I will do. And if it doesn't work, let's talk about that. So if it doesn't work and the treatment just like the 70% stat I said to you that it's not going to work. If I am one of that 70%, that will mean that they're going to cut the cancer out straight away. I'll get another test just to check if any other cancer has grown and they will cut out everything that is operable. And then we just sit and wait for more cancer to pop up. And then when it does, 
we operate and we take it out and we just keep operating and operating and chopping me up into little bits until all the cancer's gone. When something is inoperable, that's when we get into a danger zone and we will have to look for medical trials to get me on. I'm not desirable for medical trials because I'm allergic to the treatments. So I would probably have to get in on compassionate grounds. I don't know all of this for a fact, but basically everything that I'm picking up along the way, that's kind of what I'm getting the vibe of, um, that I'm undesirable. And so um, compassionate grounds means that like they can run these medical trials and let people in on that don't necessarily meet all of the criteria, but they can just let you in on it because they feel sorry for you. And so I'm hoping that someone's going to feel sorry for me. I'm like a young woman that, you know, a lot of these people doing these trials are older. And so they might think like, we need to give this girl the best chance that she's got. And we've got this trial. Um, and so, that's basically what the future holds. A lot of unknown, a lot of scary things coming up. Um, and I'm just trying not to get too ahead of myself. I'm trying to prepare for the worst with like having reactions. How can I set my home up and do all of these things to make sure that I am prepared, but also remembering that I'm not there yet. That's not me yet. This can still be a good outcome and just trying to keep everything in perspective. Um, how am I going mentally? I get asked a lot. And at the moment, I'm going pretty good. I anticipate that if the treatment doesn't work, then that's when I probably will need some extra help. And I've already kind of got like my therapist on standby, just saying like, I might need you soon. And what I really want to do with you know therapy, the way people want to do therapy is it's got to be a really personal choice, I believe. And you can't do it unless you are open to it and ready to do it and want to do it. You can't do it for somebody else. Um, and for me, what I really wanted to do was work at this myself. I have read a lot of books, a lot of podcasts, done a lot of self-reflection, a lot of work on myself over the last two years. And so I've gotten to myself to a place where I am really mentally strong and I have a lot of tools at my disposal. And I use those regularly to get myself in a good headspace. But I also know that I have the ultimate tool that when I cannot do this on my own anymore and I cannot process it and it's just not working that I'm then ready to call my therapist and say, all right, now I need the big guns, bring in the big guns. So that's basically how I'm using it. Some people like to use therapy as like a weekly just dose up and then they need that extra help. It just really depends on each individual person, but it's actually making me feel safer and better and more in control, knowing that I'm doing this okay by myself for now, but I have that safety net of the therapy when I do need it. And so I am going, I am mentally strong at the moment. I'm staying really positive. I'm ready to tackle this head on. I'm going to fight as hard as I can. And if the, you know, if this fucker gives me side effects then I'm going to like just fight with those as well, and it's going to get rid of my cancer. And that's the mentality that I'm going into this with. Um, yeah. And I've just got to, got to say, stay strong. And if I can't stay strong and I can't think positively and I can't get out of bed and I can't get to work and I can't stop crying, any of those things, or it manifests as me being angry, that's when I need to call my therapist and get the extra help because, you know, that's really important to me. My mental health in this whole thing is one of the most important things for me. I can't control my physical health anymore because that's out of my hands and my doctors need to look after that. But I need to make sure that I'm staying in tip top shape mentally. At the moment, I'm feeling really good, as good as you can with this hanging over your head, obviously. Um, so 
I wanted to answer some of your questions. So I put out a call on my Instagram because I am getting a lot of questions from you guys still and thought that I could answer some a little bit longer rather than a 15 second slide on my Insta stories um, about this. And one of the questions I was asked is um, someone had said to me that they're about to start stage four melanoma treatment as well. What are some ways that I'm prepping to handle living alone? Number one, yesterday I ordered a new set of keys for my apartment just so that my parents have them. And I just know that if there's a time where I can't get out of bed, that's okay because my parents have keys to get in my apartment. Food prep is another thing. I'm just getting a bunch of food that I can put in the freezer. So when I feel like shit, I don't need to worry. I can just get the food straight out of the freezer, put it in the heater and we're done. Um, Medical cheat sheet I wrote this morning. So I wrote uh, basically a document where I put all of my allergies, all of my history, all of my medication, all of my emergency contacts, all of my doctor's details in one document. And I am going to be emailing that document to my family members and all of my friends and my staff so that if I'm out at dinner with a friend and I have a bad reaction or I'm you know, over at my brother's house and I have a bad reaction and I go to the hospital and I can't explain my own story because I'm not able to speak or whatever's going on, they can just go, here is all the information. Or if they need to call somebody, all the information is already there. The last thing I need is to go into the hospital and they give me something I'm allergic to because I wasn't able to tell them. You know, so just making sure that everybody I come into contact with basically has that sheet and that just makes me feel a lot safer. You know, I have a cleaner already, but that would definitely be something that I would be trying to make work if I didn't have a cleaner. I know that that obviously is privileged to be able to afford that. But for me right now, that's just... I'm probably going to pay my cleaner like a little bit extra to do some extra things for me as well that I already do myself just to take that pressure off. I bought the temperature checker. Um, People also discuss and have messaged me saying that they also get um, a blood pressure checker and also an oxygen level checker. So there's some other things I could get. Um, I changed some of my bills to be direct deposit. So that's just the last thing that I need to worry about in case I do need to go into hospital really quickly. I've told friends and family what to expect so that if things do go wrong, that they're not shocked and they know this is a side effect, quickly get her to hospital. I've organized a go bag. Um, which is basically a hospital bag, just like when you are pregnant. (laughs) So a bag, just ready to go to the hospital at any time. And that was a harsh reality for me, to be honest, on the weekend to realize that all of my friends had go bags for their babies and I've got go bags for my cancer and my organs failing. So not fun. And that's, that's a big part of this whole process. This is a massive, (laughs) what do I even say? I was going to say reality check, but it's not really a reality check. It's just like a horrible thing. Like I'm looking for, I have to move apartments soon, which is just horrible timing, but I have to move apartments and, you know, I'm looking at different prices of things. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I'll downsize. I don't need as many rooms as I have. Maybe I could just have a one bedroom place and that way I could get somewhere closer to the beach so I can go for like afternoon walks along the water. It's just really good mental for my mental health. But then I realized that I have to have a second bedroom because I have to have someone stay with me when I get sick. And, you know, after my treatment this Friday, my mum will stay with me for a couple of nights. And then after my next treatment, she'll do the same. And just like my reality is that I'm not shopping for a second room for a baby. I'm shopping for one for a carer and I'm 35 years old. And that's a horrible realization that I came to that it's like, this is my life. I have to have a go bag in case I have to go to the hospital in the middle of the night because my organs are failing or I'm violently ill and I have to have a spare room, not for me to like 
dress up and have a cute like little you know thing for all of my clothes and put my bags out, my shoes out, and have a little makeup room, but so that I can have someone stay with me in case I'm so sick I can't take care of myself. This is a horrible realization that I'm 35, as I said, and I have to have all of these things set up because I may not be able to take care of myself at different points in this whole process. Cancer has taken away my independence, which is one of my most important things I have in my life. And as much as I'm not the person that is upset about not having a partner and I don't get lonely, it has been a hard realization to think like, wow, if I had a boyfriend or a husband, this would have been a whole lot easier to navigate. And that's really difficult. So basically, just to finish off that question about what I'm doing to prep is I'm just thinking about what are the things I can do right now just to in case anything goes wrong, that's going to minimize any extra drama than it needs to be. And so at work, everything I do comes with a backup plan to make sure that we're not, um, nothing gets into a position where I I leave work and it's like a balls up here. So it's just kind of having that as a backup plan always. I had somebody also ask me about what my side effects were from my last treatment. They were nowhere near as extreme. I had fatigue, um, joint pain, short-term memory loss. I found it really hard to concentrate. And that was, I had mouth sores, but nothing was super major. It just all became like my new normal. I didn't end up in hospital or anything like that, which potentially could happen this time. Another question I was asked was tips on supporting loved ones with cancer and what to do and what not to do. I I sometimes don't like really like answering these questions because it's a very personal thing about what to do and what not to do when it comes to your cancer journey. And what I like might be very different to what somebody else likes and what I don't like goes the same. Um, But I think that the main thing to do is give that person leeway. I have a few friends who have cancer and as I said, I'm on the forums and something that they have said is that on multiple occasions, there has been moments that they haven't been proud of maybe the way they've acted and that cancer has turned them into in moments, it's dark. There are dark moments in this whole thing. And you sometimes will use your family and friends as punching bags. And so I think that if someone is going through a really dark period with their cancer diagnosis to give them some leeway, and that it's probably not about you, the way that they're acting out, and that it's about how unfair they feel that this is happening to them, how miserable they are, how much in pain they are, how scared they are. There's so much mentally that goes into cancer, whether you have it and you are getting treatment or you're living with just being under surveillance like I was, whatever it is you're going through, surgeries, there's so much mentally that goes into it that I think giving someone leeway is the best thing that you can do and realize that it's not about you. It's about the cancer. I think say something. I think that it's cancer does feel like it's the biggest thing that's happening in your life. It is all consuming. I'm having to base my apartments that I'm getting based on my cancer. I'm having to, you know, have go bags, the food that I'm eating, the things that I'm doing. When I go out, I have to think about extra sun care, like all of these different things. It is all consuming. Every time I do something at work, I have to make sure somebody else knows what I'm doing so that they can do it in case I leave, you know, all this stuff. And so when someone doesn't acknowledge that, it does kind of hurt. Imagine if you had had a baby and then you saw your friend and they didn't acknowledge it. You'd be like, what the hell? Rude. So it's the same with cancer. Say something. I get a lot of messages from people weeks and weeks later saying, I just didn't know what to say. I'm sorry I didn't reach out. And it's like, 
you know, from friends and family. And it's like, hey, just say something, just simple things to say, like, I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm here and I'm thinking of you. Just say something I think is really important. It is scary to say the wrong thing. So just don't say too much. Just say, literally, I'm thinking of you. I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm here if you need, that kind of thing. Another thing that I wanted to talk about was um, I read this in Bryony Benjamin's book recently, um, Life is Tough But So Are You, and it's about offers being well-intended. I get offers all day long. Let me know if I can help. Don't hesitate to let me know what I can do. Do you want me to help you with this? What about this? You know, offers up the wazoo, which is amazing. But let me tell you that offers are really difficult to accept. Cancer takes away so much from you. And as I said, independence is one of them. And I don't want to say, yes, please cook me dinner. I don't want to say, yes, please drive me to that appointment. And so one thing that Bryony said in her book was like, don't put the pressure on the person to accept because we don't want to accept. Just do it. And she said that her neighbors, after her treatment, she was going through chemo because she had Hodgkin's lymphoma. After her treatment every week, her neighbors would just rock up with dinner. Done. Here it is. No questions asked. Just done for her and her family. So they didn't have to think. Her parents didn't have to think. It was just done. You know, I'm coming over, I'm, I'm doing a clean out of your fridge because that's a big effort. Hey, I'm coming over and I'm just going to do a load of your washing. You know, those kinds of things. I feel like I'm saying this now and then I'm like, if my friends rock up and just start going through my fridge and my clothing, I'll be like, ah, freaking out. But in, that might be different for different people, as I said, but it's just that sort of like the pressure to, and I'm going to give an example here and I don't want to like, my friend's going to know that I'm talking about her and I don't want to like put her on blast, but it's just a good example. She had an appointment the other day when I was going to get my test results, my family wasn't here and I was going to get the test results over the phone from my doctor without my family around me. And she knew that was going to be hard. So she said to me, I have an appointment in the afternoon. I'm going to cancel it. So no, she said, do you want me to cancel my appointment so I can be here when you get the news? And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. And straight away, the pressure is on me. The burden was put back on me. And she was doing an amazing thing. Of course, you know, that's lovely. But again, it was just bam, pressure straight on me. Like, no, I can handle this alone. I don't want you to have to change your life around my fucked up situation. That's what goes through my head. And later on in the afternoon, she said, I've just cancelled it. Don't even worry. And it just took that pressure straight off that I didn't even have to make that decision. It wasn't my fault. I didn't feel guilt. It was just like, she's done it. She did that decision. Whereas if I'd turn around and said to her, like, yes, please cancel your appointment so you're here with me, I would feel that guilt. So it's just about that offers are great and well-intended and it's amazing and it's that whole concept of it's the thought that counts but in this situation the thought sometimes doesn't actually count and it actually makes it a lot harder because we don't want to have to ask for help we don't want to have to accept help we just want it to be like not even part of the decision making process you know so that's just something that I wanted to throw out there because I read that in Bryony's book and it was something that I hadn't really thought about before. And I was like, you know what? That does put a lot of pressure on me in those situations to feel like I I don't want to be a burden to somebody. You know, I don't want to be a hassle that somebody else has to be thinking about me all the time. And so I want to decline all of those things, even though I really would have liked you to come over and make me dinner. So that's just one of those things. Um, and what not to say um, here's just some suggestions from me personally. Um, don't give toxic positivity and silver linings. 
in the moment, I don't want to hear, well, at least it's not this. At least you should be grateful that it's not that. Okay, well, at least we can deal with this this way. In the moment, it feels like the worst thing ever and it feels shitty. And the minute I get off the phone to my doctor, I don't want to hear, well, at least it's not this bad. That minimizes my emotions. This is not the shitty Olympics. We're not competing with who has it better and who has it worse. At the moment, this feels like the worst thing that I can be dealing with. And so don't try and give a person toxic positivity or silver linings. Down the track, maybe, but in the moment, nobody wants to hear that. Another thing that I don't like hearing is, I know of this one guy, his dad's friend's brother, he did this and now he's fine. You know, and it's like, that's a great story, but that's one random person that is 15 people deep in your friendship group that you probably don't even know. That's not, that's not helping me. (laughs) You know, it's those kind of stories. Even my doctor does it. I had this one patient, you know, that this happened and they're fine now. It's like, okay, but what about all your other hundreds of patients that it wasn't that? And in the moment, that's really hard. Once you're kind of like out of it a week later and you're starting to process this, these kinds of things are a little bit easier to manage and you get more perspective from them. But in the moment, you don't want to hear, you know what, I've got a feeling you're going to be fine. Okay, George, I don't give a shit about your fucking feeling. What does that mean? Tell my cancer about your feeling. It says nothing. You know, it's like a It's an angry place to be in the minute you find out about these things. So the more space, that's better. These things become easier to hear and I can put them in perspective and be like, that person's just trying to be nice and positive for me. But in the moment, it's like, fuck you, this is really bad. Please don't compare myself to you. Or people will be like, "Oh, oh, yeah, I remember when I had an inflamed bowel. Okay, I'm talking about like that this is going to be a massive side effect and you're like trying to relate it to something that's happened to you. That's not that's also really hard to hear. So, again, in the moment, just for me, it's like I'm so sorry. This is really shitty. We're going to do this. I'm going to be here for you. Let's do it together, you know, the best that you can. I'm here to support you as much as you can. And then in the weeks following, that's when you can then have these other conversations. Um, that are more around like, okay, well, let's have a think about like, it's good that this is going to happen. And now we're making progress here and you can do those things down the track. But when you're in it, you don't want to hear any of that stuff. Trust me. But again, this is more just like my own personal feelings. Okay. Some other questions I was asked, what is the timeline to know whether the treatment is working? Um, As I kind of already said, I'm going to probably recap a little bit of the things I've already said with these questions, but in the next three months, I will have another PET scan and they will see if the cancer has reduced and there are no new cancers. That will be the way to figure out if it's working or not. How was the newest melanoma detected? Routine test or noticed a change? So my latest one in my thigh was just a routine test. I get tested every three months. MRI, PET scan, blood work. And so it just came up in the PET scan. Although my last melanoma diagnosis, the one in my gut, it did come up in the PET scan. But the couple of months before that, I was getting a lot of pain in my abdomen that I thought was around my irritable bowel syndrome, um, which turns out it wasn't. It was actually the cancer. Not a question, but I think you're amazing and thank you for creating awareness. There's so many messages like that and I just wanted to say thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. I sometimes feel like when I do Q&As on my Insta story or on here, I don't ever read any of those nice compliments out because it feels like a bit of an ego boost. But 
I want to also acknowledge them to say, like, I do read all of these lovely things that you guys write, and so they are really appreciated. Thank you so much. Um, what type of treatment is it? Chemo, radiation, et cetera. It's called immunotherapy because chemotherapy does not work on melanoma. So that is the treatment that I'm getting. And there are all different kinds that you can get. So last time I had something called Nevo. That's the shortened version of a long name. And this time I'll get Ipi Nevo. There are other forms of ones you can get as well, but these are the ones that are available to me. I have certain, I don't know what the word is, like sequencing or something where it means that not all treatments are available to me. Just another thing that makes this so much fun. Um, another question was tips on supporting a loved one in remission, living with the fear of the cancer coming back. This is a really interesting one because I don't really know what my tips are, but it's very real. One of the things I really struggled with was that if you don't have cancer, people kind of forget about you and it's like, oh, she's fine now. She's completely normal. But you personally never feel normal. And especially with something like melanoma that's so aggressive and just keeps coming back and coming back for more, you never feel free of this thing. And so you kind of almost still feel like you're living with cancer. You know, like last year I went through all of my immunotherapy treatment and I didn't have any active cancer in my body that they could see, but I still had to go through all the treatment. And so I still felt like I was a cancer patient, even though technically I wasn't, you know, and even after my surgery from this last one, that three month period where I didn't know if I had any new cancer, which it turns out it was growing there that whole time, um, that even that period, I still felt like the weight and the dark cloud over me just waiting to see if that next scam was going to, it was going to rear its ugly head again. And it did, of course. And so that is very real for somebody. And so I think that just remembering that, that living with the fear of the cancer coming back is very real. It is traumatizing to sit in a doctor's office and hear the worst news of your life, especially for me. I've had the worst news of my life over and over and over again, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And you think, wow, it can't get any worse than this. And then it does. And so you have this like, I don't want to give any scientific terms or any medical terms or anything, but like it is kind of like a, a PTSD kind of thing where there's so many triggering things around it that as soon as I get like a, a sore, I've had a pain in my abdomen recently, the first thing I'm thinking is, is that more cancer? You know, I had a lump in my leg middle of last year that just appeared and it felt very similar to the lump that was in my arm that was cancerous. And so I was like, wow, is my cancer back? If I get a prolonged headache, it's like, I don't usually get headaches. Why do I have a headache? Is something wrong? If I'm really tired, I think, is my iron level low? Do I have cancer? Is it sucking my iron levels dry like it did last time? You know, there's all of these things that come into the stress of living with the fear of the cancer coming back. And so I think just be there for that person and acknowledge that even though you might see them and think they're healthy and they're fine, they still have this dark cloud over them that they're living with, um, the fear, and it's very real. The other thing I wanted to quickly touch on is that this is also moving goalposts for me every single time. So basically, I have to have five years clear of cancer, of having had no cancer in order for it to be safe for me to have children for a few reasons. One, 
Uh, melanoma is one of the only cancers that you can pass through to your baby while you are pregnant. It's unlikely, but it is still a chance. And we know how I love to beat the odds. Um, two, I can't get any PET scans during that time because of the radiation. So if I was pregnant, I couldn't get the test to check like if I had the cancer. And three, if the cancer did come back during that period, I couldn't get any treatments because it could put the baby at risk. So it means that I need five years clear of this thing before it's advisable for me to have a baby. Also, you know, if my body's giving nutrients to a child, it's not making boosting myself up to fight this cancer. So every single time I get this cancer diagnosis, it keeps moving the goalposts and I keep getting older and older and older. I'm 35 now, means I can't, at a minimum, I would be 40 by the time I get, um, I could have children. And so it is moving the goalposts and it's, it's making decisions about my life that I'm not getting to make myself. I've talked openly before about how I wasn't sure if I wanted children, but it's a very different thing to make your own choice and have your choice taken away from you. And that's something that is happening to me right now. Also, dating seems to be like a really goalpost moving thing. Um, I'm not super like upset. I'm not out there in the dating world or anything, but it does feel like I don't really want to be out there right now for a few reasons. One, like, to be honest, I wouldn't wish this upon anybody. It'd be different if I had a boyfriend and then I got cancer. And if he left me, that would be a shitty thing to do. But like on a first date, what am I supposed to say? Like, I've got cancer and I've got like not the greatest chance of beating it. How desirable. Sexy. You know, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. So I get it. I don't know that I would want to date somebody in my position who I just met and they're already in this position. If it was like a friend or someone that I had already grown to love aside from all of these things, it would be very different. So that's not to say that there wouldn't be people like that. Like, you know, I have friends who found boyfriends while they went through this process, but it was someone that was part of that world and already understood it, or they had a family member who'd gone through it and that's how they met them, or they were friends with their brother and they met them through that, like all of that. I think finding someone on Tinder straight up and going on a date and being like, hi, I'm going through cancer treatment at the moment. Here's my list of medical issues just in case I, you know, have some sort of a weird side effect right here on the dinner table. You know, it's it's not a fun experience. And number two on the dating thing, dating boys is drama. Sitting by your phone, waiting for a phone call, interpreting text messages, all of that kind of stuff. Do I need that extra drama and stress right now? Not really. So it does feel like it's moving the goalposts on that as well. And so cancer takes away a lot of things from you. And those are some things that it's pushing out of my life at the moment. That's really hard. And there'll be people who will message me and say, no, you're fabulous. Any guy would be lucky to have you. And that's lovely to hear, but it's also not super realistic for me to start going on just like dates at night. I'm going to, this, this treatment's going to make me very tired. I'm going to be in bed early. I barely can, will be able to get time to go out with my friends, never mind dates, you know? So it's just another thing, another reality of this. It's a fucked up situation. There's nothing that I can say other than that. Being a young person who is so passionate and wants to go out and do all the things. And this cancer gave me like this second lease on life where I want to go out and do stuff. And I'm now having to go, do I want to put all that pressure on myself to release a whole bunch of stationery again? You know, people are saying, are you going to do diaries this year? 
at the end of the year. And I'm like, no, I can't put that pressure on myself to be selling diaries and creating diaries as much as I want to do that. I have to put my health first and my passion gets put aside a little bit, which is quite sad. But that's just another thing that a goalpost is moving. But, you know, last year I killed myself to put my stationary line out there. I did everything that I could to like get out there and not let this cancer define me and prove that I could do it all, be it all. I was trying to be a superwoman and I just think like the treatment didn't work. Did I put myself under too much pressure? Was I trying to do too much? You know, was it worth it that I got to sell a few notepads? I don't know. So this year I'm just trying to really reflect on do I need to do that? Do I need to put that pressure on myself? You know, even at work in my 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 real job, <laughs> my real career, the businesses that I own, not my side hustle. Uh, you know, I'm I think like uh, I need to be in that podcast with the wild ones. It has to be me to be the producer. Whereas T- Tamara is the other producer here that works at the Spin Studio Network, and it's like, why am I killing myself to be at this podcast? Tamara can be in the podcast the same as I can be in the podcast. Why am I putting myself under so much pressure pressure unnecessarily to do all of those things? And I'm having to like learn to not be such a control freak and be a part of everything and loosen the reins a little bit. And it is hard. It's a hard realization to give up the things that you love in order to save yourself. And that's, that's a tough realization. Um, and everything that I do now, I'm thinking, you know, I was supposed to go to dinner with one of my friends tonight and I have too much on my plate that I needed to be at home tonight to organize some stuff for my treatment coming up. And I had a really hard time saying, no, I can't come to dinner and canceling because I was like, no, you've got so much shit ahead of you. Go out and enjoy your night out. But I knew that I would just be really stressed because I had so much on my plate to be dealing with at the minute that I had to put my health first. And that's shitty. It's really shitty to have to make those choices when I'm so young, to have to decide, you know, what's more important, having fun and being happy or staying alive, you know? It's um, not a fun choice to have to make, but I'm making them. You got to do it. You just got to do what you got to do. And I just keep telling myself that this treatment is going to work. This will just be a lot of short-term pain for long-term gain. And I can have dinner with my friends when I'm 40. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And that's basically all I can do right now. And just try and stay positive, put everything in perspective stay on top of my mental health. I've also said to myself that I'm going to try and do a little bit more self-care pampering. I'm not big on that. Like I don't get my nails done. I don't often go to the hairdressers. I don't get massages. I don't get facials. I don't see any like an acupuncturist. I do none of that stuff. And so I've said to myself, maybe once a month, go and get a massage. Take that time to do something to pamper yourself where you can't be on your phone. You can't be worrying about things. Just go to the spa and do something nice, you know, those soak houses, do that, or like just something that's very like me, where I can just focus, center myself, be still, and like it it just helps me with this whole process. So I'm, I'm trying to look at, I did a good job last year, 
but I didn't conquer cancer. It came back. So I'm trying to look at other things that I can do now this year in order to fight another day and beat this fucker once and for all. All right, let's move on. Let's go into my attitude of gratitude. And today it is this community. So obviously we have built this community together and as hard as it is for me to share openly and vulnerably about my journey online and often I share in the most raw states and I do that on purpose. I do clickbait you 100%. I could wait a few days and get on and be like, hi guys, just a quick update. This has happened. Bye. Go get your skin checked. But instead I do it pretty much straight after I've gotten the news because I'm the most raw and I know that will have the most impact. I know that me being as open and raw as possible will save the most lives. And so that's why I do it. Um, And I'm grateful that you guys are listening because there's a lot of fucked up shit going on with this cancer stuff for me. And the one thing that I, that makes me really happy, one of the things, sorry, that make me really happy is knowing that I'm having an impact on the world and I'm helping other people avoid this horrible situation that I'm in. And that brings me so much joy. And that's why I keep sharing so much about my Instagram on my Instagram. I have so many messages from people saying like, you know, your podcast or your Instagram makes me so happy every day. It brings me so much positivity. I wake up and I watch your stories every day or your recommendations, helping me get through lockdown, all of this stuff. Or I went and got a skin check and they cut out a cancerous mole. Thank you. Early detection. You know, all of that stuff makes all of this worth it. And I'm just so grateful that to myself, I, that I started this and I stuck with it and it's been really hard, but I've continued to do it and I've continued to dedicate myself to this Instagram community, to talking about protecting the skin you're in because it's helping people and that in turn is helping me because I don't have any control in what's happening to me right now, but what I can control is maybe that you don't get skin cancer and that's the main thing. All right. That's pretty much it from me. I'm obviously going to finish with the thought of the week, but I just wanted to say thank you for listening. This is probably not a hard, not an easy episode to listen to. I didn't really have many notes or anything, so I'm not sure if this was like really confusing and a bit all over the place. I just wanted to get on the mic and just kind of like share and talk about what's going on um, because it is not a great situation. It is not ideal. It's not what we wanted. None of us wanted this outcome, but that's all right. We are fighting and we're going to get to the end of it and we're going to conquer this bad boy. All right, thought of the week. The more often we see the things around us, even the beautiful and wonderful things, the more they become invisible to us. That is why we often take for granted the beauty of the world, the flowers, the trees, the birds, the clouds, even those we love, because we see those things so often. We see them less and less. Joseph B. Worthlin. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope to be back next week. But as I said, we are playing things by ear. But in the meantime, of course, remember to protect the skin you're in. Follow me on Instagram at Courtney Mangan and at She Was The Fire. Subscribe and share. Bye.